Hello, my friends. Welcome. My name is Joe. This is The Joe Martino Show. Today, I want to talk to you about how do we regulate our emotions to find effective change in our lives? What if the division in our society could be healed by groups of people coming together to regulate their own emotions and behaviors so that we could engage in substantive conversation about the things that we're passionate about without resorting to name calling and talking over each other. Let's kick it off. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. Okay, so I do want to uh, just take a moment and I want to let you know, if you haven't heard, the Netflix has actually been indicted in the state of Texas for the movie Cuties. And sure enough, one of the pages where I saw that article come up, people wrote, you know, well, it isn't what the media is purporting it to be. It's this, it's that. And uh, someone did ask her, they're like, would do you know if the actors were legal age or little that were doing those things? And she said, it doesn't matter, uh, which if you don't know what I'm talking about, there's a movie on Netflix called Cuties, purportedly created to exploit children. My beef with it was that it was uh, exploiting children. Uh, My beef with it was that people were haranguing other people who decided to cancel Netflix because of it, not necessarily because they hate cancel culture, but because they used illogical arguments such as, well, there are other problems or... The ends justify the means and those types of things. Um, and so, you know, we I touched on that a couple episodes ago. Uh, it is an interesting thing to me to watch our society, to watch the things that we defend, to watch the things that we as a society, uh, that, that, we, that we will fight for, and then the things that we're not allowed to fight for. And by not allowed, I don't necessarily mean even, you know, the government or, you know, if I'm really honest with you, I'm concerned that I think Facebook and Twitter are setting themselves up as censors. And and I hear the argument, well, you know, you're free to say whatever you want, but they're a private company. I I agree. Um, And and certainly, you know, I I think it's safe to say that that Twitter and Facebook uh, and those those venues tend to lean a certain way. but And the argument to me is, well, you know, the people that lean the other way could create their own platforms. But do we really want a society that is more divided? That doesn't make sense to me. Do we really want a society that is, is more uh, set into two separate camps? The people over there have their camps and the people over there have their camps. I don't think that we do. And and this is going to be hopefully be an early transition to what I want to talk about today. I think part of the problem is, is we're struggling as a society to deal with our emotions um, that are strong. We're struggling. to. We don't know what to do with our pain. We've essentially tried to enlist into a risk-free world. We've essentially tried to exist without risk of pain, without risk of hurt, without risk of emotional distress, and it is chewing our world up. 
And, and I think one of the issues here is that we don't really take a deep dive into emotions much because there's a lot of parts of emotions that we don't like. Anger, hate, uh, those types of emotions, we tend to look at them and we're like, well, we'll just push them away. But the problem is we're not succeeding. And so people aren't finding change. One of the things that's always interesting to me, uh, you know, if I'm working with a client, I was working with a a, a older gentleman one time, 66, 65, and, and had a lot of aban- fears of abandonment, had a lot of issues with uh, the idea that relationships can have a season and, and people can move up and down in your life. And if, if you've not been exposed to this idea, uh, there is a fascinating uh, theory out there that has quite a bit of research to support it. The first 15 people that have the most of your time and the most of your intimacy get 60% of your capital. But here's the thing. The actual first five or six, depending on how you run the numbers, get 60% of your, or excuse me, get 40% of your capital. So the, the groups, people six to 15, they end up with about 20%. And as this runs out for you, one of the things that I want you to consider is, what are the changes in your life that you want to make emotionally that you're not making? Because as you, as you push out energy, as you push out emotional capital for people uh, in those groups, one of the things that we do is we're not very good at drawing boundaries. So a person that is really, when we look at it scientifically, they're, they're three or four levels out. They tend to get, for a lot of people, they tend to get a lot more emotional energy then they should. Don't believe me? Ask yourself why you got mad the last time you were on Facebook over someone's comment that you rarely talk to in real life. Run, run that question out. Now, I want to be clear here. I'm not saying that it's wrong for you to get off of Facebook. I'm not. If that's what you need to do to walk away and, and to have peace in your life, so be it. But that method, removing the source of the irritation, typically isn't a good long-term solution to how we actually manage our emotions because there's too many different sources of irritation that can cause emotional distress. And so I know that there are people that are like, you know what, I just, I don't get involved in Facebook. I don't get involved in social media. And that's fine. That's good uh, for them if that works. But my question is always, I want to ask you a serious question. What is it that's happening? Why do you feel that you're feeling anger at someone that you barely talk to in real life posting something on Facebook. And I do think that that is one of the challenges of our constantly connected society. I I think back to my parents' generation and the amount of people that they knew was much smaller. Well, actually, let me rephrase that. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. I I believe, and and I think that there's enough research out that I'm comfortable saying this with some support, that there are more interactions, but probably less people that we know. We probably know more people tangentially, but actual people that, that they knew and would have interacted with in, with in person is probably around the same. If anything, I might suggest it's a little smaller. With my parents' generation, showing up at somebody's house unannounced wasn't considered rude. It wasn't considered disrespectful. I just had somebody, uh, I was talking to somebody just this week who said to me that they told their adult child uh, that, don't worry, I wouldn't show up at your house without calling first. And they said to me, you know, because that's rude. And I was like, yeah, I guess. Like, I have to admit, I don't like it if people show up at my house unannounced. In fact, my wife and I work really hard to keep our house completely scrubbed from anything public. Uh, and, and so I get that. But, but that social dynamic has changed. And so we are interact with more people that we don't actually know 
and I think we might interact with, with less people total than generations before us, but they didn't have the where I could pick up my phone, you know, I, 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 I can pick up my iPad, my computer, and I can go to one of a gazillion different social media sites and interact with people that I disagree with or agree with at a much higher number. And so one of the things is, is that we're interacting on deep issues with people that we don't have any relational platform with. Uh, and, and that is a recipe for poor communication. Just a few days ago, I had a conversation with somebody on Facebook, um, and he wrote something that I'm, that he meant for humor. I believe he meant it for humor, at least now. I did not take it that way, but the truth is I don't know the guy. I have vibes about him. I have impressions about him. I don't really know him necessarily. Right, and so there's this possibility to interact with people and on, on deep issues that we don't know about, which is a recipe for bad communication, poor communication. It's also a recipe for emotional distress in a society that does not can, does not seem to me, neither as a person or a counselor, to consider the idea that emotional regulation is a good sign of maturity. And so you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, what in the world are you talking about? So let's break this down a little bit. One of the things that our society is doing, I've talked about this a lot, we are, we are making feelings facts, right? In fact, there's a whole counter movement, facts don't care about your feelings and all that. I just literally saw a t-shirt today or a sweatshirt today that was uh, uh, a, a counterculture t-shirt. I can't actually quote what it says um, because it would be crude and inappropriate. Uh but we, we've, we've elevated feelings to facts. So if I feel like you offended me, here's an interesting question that I want to ask for you. Does your intent change what you communicate? In other words, if you don't intend to communicate something, but you do communicate that or the person reads it that way, how do we decide what was correct? And, and this is part of the problem because we, we bought into this idea of your truth. You just have to live out your truth. Well, what if your truth is it's okay to take my motorcycle? R right now, our agency, we, 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 are, we are talking about different mental illnesses. And one of, the, one of the ones that we were talking about, right, we're training therapists and whatnot as we go through this. And one of the things that we were talking about is there are mental illnesses where people take things and they literally believe that someone said they could take them, but they don't. And they end up going to jail and it's terrible and we need better treatments. But what about that? What if your feelings say, say, well, you can do this? And, and there's always a line. We all have different lines. And so I meet with clients and I'm like, well, it's okay that I cheated on my wife because my feelings, blah, blah, blah. Well, what if your wife cheated on you? Well, I'd be hurt. I'd be mad. And what's interesting to me is most people I meet don't notice the correlation between hurt, fear, and anger in part because feelings rule everything. And so however you feel, that's okay. One of the things that, that I have come to, to uh, terms with is why do I care if someone writes something on Facebook that I disagree about? Uh, whatever it is. Let's say that they're super pro-mask and, and they're putting up you know, posts about how masks should be worn everywhere or they're very pro-spanking. I have been very clear that I am anti-spanking. We'll use one that's real, the mask one. A little bit less. Actually, the mask one's interesting to me because I don't. I'm ambivalent towards the mask. I'll wear them when I need to. Uh, the idea that they they stop the the virus from going out but not going in doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Maybe I'm just not smart enough. I guess. 
Uh, but, but you know, whatever. If you, you have a sign up in your store that says, hey, you have to wear this to come in here. Okay, that's fine. Uh, this past weekend, my wife and I went to church. First time for me uh, since the lockdown. And I wore my mask in. Uh, you don't have to wear a mask in church. They have uh, exceptions under the now struck down executive orders uh, by our governor. Uh, but either way, you didn't have to. But I still did because I know that there are people there that uh, will feel more comfortable the more people that are wearing masks. And and one of the things that is a value that I live out of is, is what can I do to help someone feel more comfortable when possible? And so my dislike of wearing a mask, and I'll be honest with you, I hate wearing them. I don't find that I breathe as well through them. I know that there are people like, well, I breathe just fine. That's fine. You know, and medical doctors wear them for 12 hours. I'm not trying to argue it with you. In fact, that's the interesting thing. Here's my question for the person. When I say, I don't find that I breathe as well through a mask. I wear them when I have to. I wear them here at work when I'm out and moving around and when I need to, but I don't like them. People get agitated and try to convince me that I'm wrong, that somehow because they can breathe well through it, I can too. And, and my question is always, why are, you, why are you getting agitated right now? What is it that's causing you to, uh, to, to feel that you are, are feeling angry inside? And yeah, I'm a therapist, so that's a question that I ask. But I ask myself that question. Why do I care if somebody on Facebook I disagree with? And even if it's one of my close friends, why do I care if they disagree with me on this topic? For instance, let's say that I have a friend who's very pro-spanking. I, I am not. I, in fact, I'm anti-spanking. Uh, and, and, and they start putting up articles about it. it is, as long as they're not glorifying... And I hate this phrase. This is where I, I debated using the spanking illustration today when I was putting kind of... I don't usually write a script. A lot of times I write like a, an outline, if you will. And I debated using the spanking because there is a line that will be crossed that I feel like anger is justified. And that is when they put up a pro-spanking argument that glorifies beating someone's butt. When they use the word beating, beating has a meaning. We have a very robust English language. And so if you, when you use the word beating, it has a connotation. Uh, when, when I was a kid, there was a guy named Daryl Dunn and Dave Arnold. They traveled and spoke to people. And they talked about, they did them like for a week long, my family went. We rode in, this, in a school bus that the church owned to this place. If you, if you didn't grow up in, in that type of environment, you have no idea what I'm talking about. And it was weird. Uh... I do believe it came from the best of intentions from my parents, though. But nonetheless, the guy talked about how he beat his kids till their butts were black and blue on purpose. That's abuse. And so emotional stirring in me, I, I think, is appropriate there. Because that is abuse. That is that is hurting someone who, by and large, is defenseless. Um and so, you know, there's that. But if, they, if they're pro-spanking and I'm not, why, why would them posting that on Facebook make me angry? If I agree with them about 80% of things, but we disagree on what we should do in this next election, why does that make me angry? And part of it is, is because, well, you know, elections have consequences. The famous President Obama line. And it's going to run out this way and that way. Why do I care if, if my friend uh, thinks that city living is better than country living? I actually don't care, but, but I'm trying to come up with situations... Why do I care if you're a Trump supporter and you meet someone who, who just doesn't like him? Why do you care if you're a Biden supporter and you meet someone that doesn't like him? Why do you care? Because here's my question. Do you expect that everyone in the world is going to think like you? 
So when people put up something on Facebook and you're angry, here's what I want you to consider. It's not them, it's you. And it's not actually anger, it's fear. Because one of the things, if we do a deep dive into emotions, if we really want to facilitate change in our emotions, one of the things that we have to do is we have to do a deep dive into what is preceding the emotion that we're feeling. What is preceding the emotion that we're feeling as the predominant emotion? So for anger, uh, the, the gentleman that I was talking about earlier, you know, in his, he, he was in his, in his late 60s, and, and we talked about how, how it wasn't his fear of abandonment that was tripping him up. It was his behaviors, what he would do after he felt like he was about to be abandoned. And he would engage in behaviors that would actually cause the abandonment to become con- true. We call that self-sabotage. But part of it was is he only focused on the fear of the, ba- of the abandonment. And so we came up with some physical strategies, things that he could do differently, And he went about and lived his life, right? Counseling's an hour. It's the other six days and 23 hours that really do the work for your counseling or or for your change. And so he went out and he did them. And as he was doing them, uh, it went well from my perspective. That is to say, one of the relationships that he was stressed about, that person engaged in poor behavior that hurt my client, that triggered my client's feelings of abandonment. And my client went and engaged in healthy behaviors, did not try to manipulate the other person back. And so we talked about it and I said, man, I'm so proud of you. You're doing it. You're, you're, you're making changes. And he looked at me, he said, not very well. Right. And, and so here's the other piece. And this is, this is a little bit like a jigsaw puzzle today, right? We're talking about how do we, uh, change our emotions? How do we regulate our emotions for a better, healthier life? Here, here's another part of that puzzle. You have to be able to engage and counteract the narrative in your head that's telling you you're screwing it up simply because it's hard. Because when things are hard, we typically trigger more negative emotions. Not because things are hard, but because what we believe about things being hard, which is usually the idea that we, at a, at a very, at the very least, a self-conscious level or a, a subconscious level, believe that if things are hard, we must be screwing up. And then that triggers us to have a runoff into negative emotions. Now, okay, so so far we've got a couple different uh, pieces of the puzzle going. We've got a couple different uh, puzzle pieces that, that we're trying to fit together here. We have the idea of a deep dive into emotions. Uh, we have the idea of what's going on when we when we start to feel emotions, we we need to ask ourselves some questions like, hey, why does this bother me? Why am I angry? Is my solution a good-term long solution or a good-term short solution that's going to buy me time to get a better long-term solution? And then what's the narrative in my head telling me? What's going on inside my head? What's running through my head? And, And so as we start to put these puzzle pieces together, One of the things we have to do, this deep dive into emotions, is we need to understand emotions better. Now, for years, they said there were only 10 emotions. Now, I think actually in 2020, uh, they they said there's 27 emotions, they being researchers. um, You know, I don't know for sure what the number would be. I know for, for as long as this business has been open, my counseling practice has been open, we've had a 
a, a host of different faces to express different feelings and emotions. And as you boil down uh, emotions, whether it's 10 or 27, I just literally, in, in research for this episode, I read an article said there, there's 80 emotions. I don't know if that's because 2020 has been such a circus um, or if it's, you know, something else. That's a joke. That, that's a joke. Uh, but but we, don't, we don't typically differentiate between emotions, right? And so anger is typically a secondary emotion, which means it's a reactionary emotion. So the next time you're on Facebook, the next time you're listening to the news, the next time you see someone without a mask, the next time you see someone with a mask, the next time you hear someone talk about their church, you hear the next time you hear someone vilify church and you get angry, I want to tell you something. It's not what you saw or heard. It's what you believed about what you saw or heard that triggered your primary emotion. And then when you felt anger, that is the reactionary emotion to your primary emotion. So for my older gentleman, one of the things I pointed out to him was, he's like, I'm just angry all the time. And I said to him, I said, the, the problem is you're not actually angry, you're afraid. And you cover your fear with anger. And very, the, the problem becomes, and he was telling me a story about, he has these guys that, that he gets together with. Uh, I, I'm a little, I have to be honest, I was a little confused on, on the frequency of it, but it wasn't necessary for me to understand that part in order for the, the therapy to continue. So I did not uh, um, explore it. But he talked to me about how he, he got together with this group of guys. It sounds like a pretty big group, to be honest with you. Uh, regularly throughout the year, and, and it, it got more, it gets more and more contentious as as different relationships in his family are struggling. Uh, some people are like, "Hey, we're, we're here for you." Some people are like, "Well, it's obviously your fault." Uh, and and then he talked about, and and this year it was awful, or this the last trip that he had, which was the beginning of the summer, he's like it was awful because the politics were in it, and he's like, people were talking about this, and they're talking about that, and they were saying this horrible thing and that horrible thing. And he said, I was in my room. He said, I was just kind of getting ready to go out and go fishing, try to get away from it for a few minutes. And the guy that he was sharing a room with walked in. And he's like, I'm so sick of this politics. The next person to bring it up, I am going to unload on. And he looked at me and he said, internally, I was like, oh, I hope so. I can't wait to see it. And so I said, well, why do you think that is? And he said to me, I don't know, but I don't think it's healthy. I said, okay, let's pull that apart. And, and he said to me, he said, I just, I just, I wanted to know that I wasn't the crazy person. I said, and you find other people's anger comforting? And he said, no. I said, really? So that person getting angry would have done what? Well, it helped me to realize that I'm not crazy, which is a fear. The fear that I'm crazy. The fear that because I'm different than these people, I'm crazy. In fact, in our society, we've done something. We've normalized unhealth. We've We've normalized sickness. First, we started out with disease as malady, right? Uh, or, or as malady as entertainment, excuse me, right? So the biggest loser, what is that? That's a show about unhealthy people with unhealthy coping mechanisms. Anybody that is that morbidly obese, there's probably a unhealthy coping mechanism related to food. Now, there could be a genetic thing. I, I, wanna, I want to recognize that. But probably they're going through or they've experienced significant trauma somewhere in their life for the vast majority of people. 
because we've normalized trauma. And here's the thing, by normalize it, I don't mean we've actually decided to treat it and help people process through it and get healthy. What we've done is we've normalized it to like, ah, eh, everybody has it. Go look at the arguments about cuties. I, I know you guys, there are some people that think I'm obsessed about this, but the argument is, well, there's other stuff too. And right, and so if you're abused, everybody's abused. It's okay, no big deal. You have an, you're an alcoholic. Well, doesn't everybody have a vice? You, you compulsively look at, at porn. Well, doesn't everybody have, have problems? And, and so we've normalized maladies. We've normalized, uh, we, we've normalized sickness. We've normalized emotional sickness. So, the, so if someone says, hey, I'm going to draw boundaries and I'm going to be healthy, we've never actually talked as a society about processing those emotions. So drawing boundaries becomes a power trip. It becomes this thing about being mean because I can be mean because I'm empowered. If you don't believe me, go look at your friends that are getting divorced about the stuff that they post on Facebook. Go talk to them about how they talk about their ex in front of their children. And, and there's usually a pretty good correlation. Anytime a person says, well, I don't want to talk bad about my ex in front of my kids, the next words out of their mouth are going to be talking bad about their kids because they're angry. And I said to my client, I said, you know, I said, the thing you have to consider is anger becomes a blanket. It, it, the anger, the emotion of anger becomes a comforting blanket. It becomes like snuggling with a dog on a Sunday afternoon watching a football game. When the dog gets up and jumps down, you suddenly are cold and it doesn't feel good. So you grab a blanket and cover up. And anger becomes that, that heat source, that comfort. Because if we take anger away, we have to face the fear. If you want to change your emotions, if you want to be better at regulating your emotions, you have to face the fear. So if I read something on Facebook or I hear somebody who says something I disagree with and I get angry, I need to ask myself, what am I afraid of? What's moving me forward in this that's causing me to be angry? What? Because it's a reaction. If I take baking soda and vinegar and I dump it down the drain then what happens is I get a reaction. Uh, you can put it Mentos and Diet Coke. There's all sorts of different things you can do. Anger is the foam that comes from those reactions. It is the reaction to something else. And often that something else is fear. Not always, but often. So as you engage in trying to regulate your emotions, the problem is as a society, we've, we, we've gone to two extremes. Either we just, we've normalized our emotions, all right, and we just take the puzzle pieces that we've talked about to this point, we move them aside, who cares? We don't need to deep dive into our emotions. We don't need to ask ourselves questions. We don't need to confront the inner voice in our head. Or we just totally live. We, we just, well, I'm just going to not be angry. In fact, one of the things that I always ask people is they're like, well, okay, my son was angry. Okay, is that bad? Well, yes. Okay, Why? And I don't mean that sarcastically. I mean that legitimately. Why is it bad that your son got angry? My son's angry about his, his biology teacher. True conversation I had not with a client. Okay, why? Well, it feels like his uh, biology teacher uh, plays favorites. Okay, is that bad that he's mad? Yes. Why? Well, he shouldn't be mad. Why? Well, because... You know, when he gets mad, he does bad things. Did you catch the word change? He does. And this is where change happens. We have to ask ourselves, what are the actions that I need to engage in that will help me to regulate my emotions to have a better life? So my client, 
I didn't tell them, well, don't feel like they're going to abandon you. In fact, the truth is, as we pulled apart some of his relationships, I actually said to him, I want you to recognize something. The healthier you get, the more likely some people in your life are likely to leave you. And you're going to feel that as abandonment. And that doesn't mean you're fundamentally broken. It doesn't mean there's something fundamentally wrong with you. It's just a feeling that you have. And so we don't have to elevate feelings to facts. We don't have to elevate feelings to run our lives. We simply have to ask ourselves, who do we want to be with those feelings? Who do you want to be with feelings that are in common? I was talking to a friend of mine. I have a friend that I go to lunch with pretty regularly. And uh, he was talking about how when his kids ask him for advice or an opinion, when they don't do what he tells them, he used to get mad because they were asking him for an opinion he was offering them a course of action. And if they rejected that course of action, they were rejecting him. That is a feeling created inside of him from the voice in his head interpreting what's happening. So here's how that works. Kid calls him up, ring, ring, ring. Hello, hey dad, what's going on? Not much, Uh, how are you doing? Good. How's the husband? How's the wife? Good, good. Hey, here's the situation that we're kind of wrestling through. What do you think? Well, I think you should do this. And they go do that. His voice sees them go do that when he recommended they should go do this. And his voice says, see, proof that they don't respect you because you're a failure. Boom, he's angry. The inner voice that he's listening to, not talking to, he's listening to it, he's just letting it run, interprets the event as proof that somehow he's a failure. And so as that digs into him, he feels anger because he's afraid that he's a failure. And so one of the things that uh, you have to consider is what is my voice telling me about what's going on and what's not true about it? What am I feeling that's not true? I I listened to a book this week uh, that I found interesting. It it was a book of Toltec wisdom. I know some people would not listen to it simply because of that, because the Toltec wisdom would be a religious orientation. Uh, but I, I'll listen to, I'll read almost anything. And he, the guy made some profound statements, some stuff I was like, what in the world is going on right here? But one of the things that he says is the idea that we, that we are secure in our beliefs if we're willing to fight for them at all cost is inaccurate. When we're willing to question our beliefs, we're actually secure in what we believe. In other words, allowing someone to question me on why I'm against spanking would actually show that I'm secure in my position of anti-spanking. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have emotions. In fact, what I'm actually suggesting is we should just open up our arms to all emotions and regulate our behavior. Until you come to the place where you regulate your behavior, you will rarely find... uh, You'll rarely find relief. In fact... Not getting mad isn't really an attainable goal until you regulate your behaviors. Doing away with anger isn't really an attainable goal until you regulate your behaviors. And then as you regulate your behaviors over time, you'll find that your body tends to react less strongly and eventually it'll stop. Eventually. Now, not to everything. There are injustices that, that you probably should always hopefully have some level of reaction to. But I'm talking about, you know, with your kids, with your wife, with your husband. The better you get at regulating your behaviors, the more your body becomes comfortable with living in the tension of this is painful, but it's not the whole story. It's not all of my life. 
as friends come and go. This is painful, but it's not all of my life. And you don't compound the problem by engaging in behaviors that are similar to dumping jet fuel on a fire. One of the biggest things that I point out to couples on repeat, sometimes like I've met with a couple for two years, and I bet you in those hundred or so sessions, I have pointed out probably 90 times that the fact that the other person got mad at them was not what caused the fight. It was the fact that neither of them could tolerate the distress of both people of the other person being mad at them. Because there's the final puzzle piece. You have to be able to tolerate the distress of knowing that someone's mad at you and regulate your behaviors so that you can then ask yourself those questions we talked about earlier. Earlier this week, I had a client who's, who's, who's strongly caught in resistance. Just go off, like for six and a half minutes, about how I'm the worst therapist in the world. And I literally just sat there. When, 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 when they were all done, I said, okay, so let me just make sure I understand what you're saying. I did that. And then they said, yes. And I said, okay, then why do you come? Well, because I want to see what value you have. Okay, but why me? There's, there's, I mean, in Grand Rapids, there's so many therapists. Go somewhere else. We've been to a lot of therapists. Now, I want to be really clear. Inside, I was feeling distress. I was feeling, oh my word, this woman's saying I'm terrible. But as I listened to her arguments, I realized it was a defense mechanism because she didn't like what was necessary for change. And that's okay. I had a client one time tell me that her sister told her that she should stop going to therapy because every time after therapy, she was a mess. And at that point, she'd been coming, I don't know, four or five times. And, and she said, you just make me angry. And I said to her, I said, well, what do I do that makes you angry? And she said, well, you know, you talk about this. I'm like, I just want to point out something. Literally everything you just brought up, I have never said. You say them. And I just have sat here and listened. And she's like, oh... And, and what happened was, is the things that she needed to discuss to get healthy were painful. And one of her defense mechanisms, when she felt the pain and then the fear that this is never going to end, is she would explode and she would, she would uh, not ravish people, but she would, she would just try to, to scorch the earth around her between her and the people around her for protection. And, and by, by being able to regulate my own emotions and kind of let her sit there and cry and yell and scream and point her finger and tell me what her sister told her and then just very gently point out one counter truth, she was able to grab that and start regulating her own behaviors and distinguish between what am I hearing versus what I'm telling myself and it, from interpretation. And then she was able to regulate her emotions to move it forward. She was able to come to the place where she recognized her feelings and at the same time talk to herself about behaviors that were necessary for her to be the person that she wanted to be in the face of those behaviors. The problem becomes we try to kill an emotion that I don't know that we can kill because it's part of being human. But we can take a deep dive into what's preceding it, what is leading to it. How do we best act while feeling that emotion. That's what tolerate the distress means. You, you live in that discomfort. You live in that angst. And one of the things that we're doing is we're making hard 
uh, unacceptable. If it's hard, it's not acceptable. Everything should be easy. Pain should never exist. And when I talk with this about people, they invariably say, well, no, I don't agree with that. I'm okay. You might not agree with that intellectually, but volitionally, that means actions. That's how you live your life. Think about this virus. Why can't we have a conversation about the coronavirus? Why, when people have conversations about it, invariably do people get angry and stop talking? Uh, and, and whether whether it's on Facebook, which is always interesting to me, or in real life uh, interactions, which are also always interesting to me, why do people end up in arguments about the virus or how we should respond? Uh, uh, right, we we've moved from deaths and overloading the healthcare system to deaths, not overloading the healthcare system to cases. We don't actually talk about deaths anymore because the death rate's very low. But if you say that, I I know right now just by saying that I've lost listeners. Somebody out there is going to turn this off and they're not going to listen to me again forever, maybe, or maybe for six months. If I said, why are we so invested in a vaccine when we have vaccines for viruses and people are still dying from those viruses or from complications of pre-existing conditions related to those viruses, i.e. the common flu, somebody's done. They just click me off. Click because they got angry because they're afraid that they're going to die or someone they love is going to die. But they don't actually engage that fear, that emotion. They're angry and they're comfortable with anger. So they grab that and, and now they can vilify me. I'm not a victim here. I'm just, it's easiest to use me. I don't, if you don't listen to me for that, so be it. I don't care. Just to be really honest with you. I, I don't. Because we have to stop just canceling people we disagree with. Wait a second, Joe. You said Cuties was terrible. It was. And I, do, I think it was terrible that, that Netflix showed it. I also, I was talking with somebody about it yesterday over coffee. I don't, I, again, I don't care if you don't cancel your Netflix. What I care about is if you shut somebody else down who wants to cancel it. Uh, just recently in my state of Michigan, uh, the regulations for who can go to sporting events, outdoor sporting events, has been loosened. You still have to maintain six feet and all that. And immediately somebody puts, oh, because football's worth dying for. Look, I'm not a big fan of high schools, what we currently do with high school sports. I'm not a big fan of what we do with pro sports. I haven't watched pro sports. I've been watching the playoffs of baseball. I, I haven't watched the NBA. I refuse to watch the NFL. I haven't watched college football. Uh, I don't care, you know, but even there, if somebody's going to judge me, and be like, oh, what's the matter with you? And they're going to make some misogynistically stupid joke. And then they're done listening because they can cancel me. But but back to the, to the sports thing, that's not an argument. Oh, well, because high school football's you know worthy of dying. Well, okay, the, we have a lot of inconsistencies with how we're, we're approaching this virus in that we're not talking about the people that are committing suicide. We're not talking about the people that are being homeless. In, in my state, we're not talking about the fact that there's people that are unemployed and they're not getting any unemployment and the state doesn't have the money to give them the money for unemployment and they're going hungry. We're not talking about that because we're afraid if we back off of the virus response at all, if we back off of the lockdown at all, people are going to die. On the other hand, people are afraid if we don't lock, if we don't stop the lockdown, what about the 200,000? That's the number I hear recently. The 200,000 people that die. There's going to be another 200,000 and the world's going to be wiped out. Uh, climate issues. Very few conversations happen about that. In fact, we've stopped having conversations and we just have angry outbursts. Whether it's climate issues, it doesn't matter what it is. But climate issues, one of the things, I, I don't mind, I'm actually probably greener than a lot of my, 
I know for a fact I can list you people that claim to be very climate friendly and I'm way climate friendlier than them. But one of the things I ask is how many predictions of the world ending do we live through without the world ending before we step back and say, okay, maybe making predictions about the world ending isn't very good. Suddenly people stop talking to you when you say that because they can't regulate their emotions. And here's what I mean by regulate your emotions. I actually mean regulate your behaviors. We talked about this before. They can be angry at me, but we agree on like 85 other things. I can talk to people I disagree with, even some people that I'm angry with. I had an interaction with a good friend this past weekend and I had to ask him a question. It wasn't a big question, but later I was like, oh, if you, maybe you're not like me. I have the gift of overthinking. I was like, oh man, I wonder, I wonder if I offended him by that question. And the, the, the whole thing was in my head. It created emotions in me that weren't based in reality. They were completely in my head. And here's what I'm suggesting. If we want to have a better society, if we want to have a less divided society, we have to regulate our emotions and distinguish, are these feelings coming from the, the voice in my head or are they coming from something that actually happened? What is, what is running through my head? Where are these feelings, where are these emotions coming from? That's why we don't have conversations that are fruitful. We just have shouting matches. We just have people yelling at each other. And, and we've, what's really interesting to me is, as I've talked about in the past, how we've elevated fear to a virtue. But the problem is when we elevate fear to a virtue, and then when people aren't afraid of the things that we're afraid of, we've also elevated anger to a virtue because fear and anger run together when fear isn't processed. And so now anger's a virtue. So it's virtuous to do things that are hurtful to other people if you're angry. That's a bad place to be for an individual. That's a terrible place to be for a family. And it is an awful place to be for a society. All right. Thanks so much for listening. I know you can do anything with your time. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that you take the time to join me in what I hope you find to be thought-provoking discussions. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.